0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
1: Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
2: Please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new-age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Casey Davidson. Casey's a fellow podcast host. She's the host of the Hello Someday podcast. She's also a life and sobriety coach. I was on her podcast recently. She's just a beautiful human. How are you, Casey? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. It's so great to have you on. I love this sort of reciprocal, you go on my podcast, I'll come on yours. It's really, really beautiful. Firstly, where are you right now?
1: Yeah, well, I'm based in Seattle, Washington, so way up in the northwest of the United
2: States. That's where all the cool crew come from. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: used to be an East Coaster and I moved to the West Coast 23 years ago and will never go back because people here are very laid back and just genuine and interesting and yeah no shade to the east coast but a little shade
2: (laughs) (laughs) my daughter's really getting into the seattle grunge scene at the moment oh yeah she's loving it she's like i really want to go there mom so i remember once on tour in canada for quite some time and then canadians i just love them they're like the nicest humans in the world but we went then we had to cross over into seattle for some shows it was interesting to get a bit more of the sort of hard-hitting type people just a bit more i don't know
1: (laughs) well if you think seattle's hard-hitting you know don't go to Boston or New York.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I've been to that. I, I mean, I love America. I absolutely love America and just all the different states and the different people, yes. but people are always so kind. It's one thing I always find in America. People go out of their way to be just, they're just so friendly. It's so nice. It's It's beautiful. Much like Canada, but they've just got a bit more grit. Yes. So anyway, yes, enough about America. So tell us a bit about your story, how, when you first got started with alcohol and, and how you ended up doing the job and the wonderful work that you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love hearing people's stories too, because even though each one of us is a little different, I think the thread and the thought and sort of the emotions that we all have are pretty similar. So I started drinking mostly in college. I didn't really drink much in high school because I went to boarding school. I went when I was 14 and the boarding school I went to, if you got caught drinking, you would be suspended the first time and then expelled the second time. And my parents were actually foreign service officers. They were American diplomats. I lived in Australia for a little while. My parents were in Canberra for three years oh, wow. when I was in college. And I went to the University of Melbourne for a semester and traveled all around. But growing up, we were in Africa and south america sort of all over the world and the u.s government was paying for my boarding school so i was like i cannot screw up like Mm. no way i'm gonna get kicked out my parents are gonna kill me so i really didn't drink except for the one time in high school And the one time it managed to be, my sister was graduating high school. She was a year older than me. I went to my girlfriend's house and there were like five or six of us sleeping over. And my dad was going to pick me up from there. I hadn't seen my dad in four months because he was in Brazil. So that night we started drinking outside. We were playing like drink while you think with Bacardi and I just really wanted to get drunk because I wanted to see what that felt like. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. So I was chugging in a red Solo Cup Bacardi. Well, basically, I remember nothing of the night. Apparently, I was rolling down and attempting to climb up this small, incline grassy hill for like hours. I puked all over myself. I puked in my hair. You know, my friends had to carry me up. And then my dad showed up the next day. And I was trying desperately because I was a total daddy girl whose father was never around. And so I desperately wanted his approval and him to like me. And he would, he could totally tell I was hungover. And he was like, "Case, why don't you drive the car? Because I was 16. I was like, oh, dad, I don't know. And he was like, no, no, drive the car. He was like, dude, she is so hungover. So I'm driving on the highway. And I actually had to like pretend I had to go to the bathroom and pull over on the highway because I had to puke. And- (sighs) It was just a total mess. So we go to my sister's high school graduation. My grandparents are there. My mother's there. They're walking down the aisle on this grassy path. And I have to jump up in front of my grandparents and the entire class, run down in front of everybody down the building, puked on the side of the building, puked in the back, basically total shit show. My dad thought it was hysterical. My mom thought I could have found a more appropriate time. And my sister was like, you're a fucking mess. (laughs) So that was my introduction to drinking. Mm -hmm. That did not deter me. It just became a great story. I went off to college and I joined the women's rugby team. Do you know rugby at all? Yeah. Yeah. So it is like a crash course in seriously messed up drinking, like how to binge drink Mm -hmm. and how to normalize it. So when I was playing rugby, it was you parties with the men's team. After games, there was lots of keg stands, lots of chugging, lots of, they called it boot and rally. If you throw up, you drink again, everybody cheers. It was a mess, but I was still like this really, really good girl. So I kind of got straight A's and lots of binge drinking and rugby. And I thought it was working for me. I thought it was helping me get out of my head, not be so concerned with what other people thought, just anything could happen if I was drinking. And if I wasn't drinking, I was super buttoned up and wanted to do everything right. So I was like, this is a great strategy for me graduated college, moved down to Washington, DC for my first job and just felt all this imposter syndrome. I had a big consulting job. I had to work a lot of nights, really felt a ton of pressure. And my dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer right after I started my job. I just was a total mess. My parents didn't want me to come home to Australia. He was in Australia at the time. And so I just went to work. And when I got home, I would drink a bottle of wine because I thought that's what adults did. This was me being sophisticated in my apartment. I didn't know how to cook though. So I would have like lucky charms for dinner or chef Boyardee out of a can while drinking wine. Like it was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is what adults do. So I remember being in my twenties and just throwing a bile for hours, sweaty on the bathroom floor. People would say to me occasionally, my mom was like, I think you should reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. Despite that, I was like, no way. I love this. I just need to not get so shippy that I'm throwing up yellow bile, right? Like, this is something I need to get in charge. And so basically, I just always drank and I sort of shifted what I drank based on my life phase. In my 20s, it was cocktails out at bars with friends. We moved to Seattle. We actually, my husband, boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I lived on a floating home on Lake Union. If anyone's seen the movie Sleepless in Seattle we were on one of those floating homes. It was amazing. And so, yeah, early early, or mid-20s, lots of kayaking and drinking and camping and all that good stuff. And then early marriage, lots of dinner parties with friends. And then I dove straight into the mom wine culture. So the whole time I was climbing the corporate ladder, I was almost always a 365 day a year drinker. I just thought that's what people did. When I was growing up, my parents always had a bottle of wine on the table. Amazingly, no one else in my family drinks like I did. Like they really were normal drinkers, but it was every night.
2: Can I ask Um, a question? When you were drinking every night of the week, was it always getting to the point of throwing up? No, no. But-
1: It was not always to the point of throwing up, but as it went on, it was always to the point of like waking up at 3 a.m.
2: And what was it doing for you? Like, you know, at the start, you're saying it gave you a bit of that acceptance or it gave you the permission to kind of unbutton, so to speak. Is that what it was still doing for you when you were drinking every day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one, I just thought it was what people do. Like you drink wine with dinner. That was what I thought. The other thing was, I mean, I got that big dopamine hit. I just loved that fuzzy, buzzy, relaxed, giddy feeling. And my Mm. husband even said to me, we're sitting on the couch on a Wednesday night. And he was like, why don't you stop drinking when you feel that way? And I was Mm. like, babe, I just never want this feeling to end. I thought that if I drank more, that it would last longer.
2: And that's what we all fall into that trap of, this feels good. I'll try and keep it going, but it never, (laughs) it never (laughs) lasts. When you were drinking every day, how did that look for you? Like how much were you drinking, especially if you're kind of chasing that buzz?
1: Well, I mean, I think like many of us, at some point you're like, yikes, this is kind of a problem, and not yet to the point of like, oh my God, I have a real problem with alcohol abuse. It was Mm -hmm. like, I need to drink less. I need to lose weight. This isn't making me feel good. I get drunk too often, falling asleep at dinner parties with friends. I think in some big parties, I like climbed into my best friend and her husband's bed and went to sleep. And my husband's like, get out of their bed. And I was like, dude, I'm allowed to be here. I was 32. Like, this is no longer funny, Mm -hmm. Um, but I would Mm -hmm. mostly come home from work, open a bottle of wine and drink three fourths of it, two thirds of it. And then I was like, okay, this is embarrassing, right? I should just finish the bottle because it's embarrassing to just see that little bit left. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I switch to box wine? Because clearly the issue is the bottle. If I don't have to finish the bottle, then I'll just have two glasses, maybe three. Okay, box Mm. wine, terrible idea. Like that did not work in helping me moderate.
2: Yeah, so you've switched to, we call it in Australia, like a cask, cask of wine, hoping that you're going to drink less. Oh my
1: God. (laughs) Oh <laughs> I know it's so dumb. It's and I did I did all the things. I was like, okay, I'm gonna switch to white wine because I like red wine better. I'm gonna switch to beer because I don't like it as much as wine. I never got into hard alcohol probably because of my first experience with hard alcohol. And then I would do. I had kids at the time. I really wanted to lose weight, so I would like. I had a personal trainer, and I'd log all my food, and it would be like egg white omelet for breakfast, salad for lunch, asparagus, salmon. For for dinner, six glasses of wine. Oh, the trainer was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, I am within my calorie count in my mind. This was like, Hey, I'm just swapping out calories. And eventually, of course it got to the point where I was like, okay, I want to drink less and I am not doing that. And this is a big problem.
2: I remember also doing that thing of switching out drinks. So, stopping drinking white wine, the rules you set up for yourself. So, white wine or champagne would get me completely shit faced. So, then I would go, okay, no more white wine. Or if I do have white wine, it's only with a meal. And then, as soon as the meal's finished, no more white wine. Then, switching it up for vodka because it seemed like you could but then the vodka would get stronger and stronger as well. Oh God. And you just think, I'll switch out for this. I'll switch out for that. Never thinking, why don't you just stop drinking? Yeah. I think like most people
1: who are drinkers, all my friends were big drinkers too. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this when you came on my show, you purposely seek out people who drink a lot. I had a huge group of girlfriends. Mm. We were friends before we had kids, and then we all had kids sort of within a five-year span. And these were all working women who had big jobs. And sort of, I think a lot of us were sort of humbled by becoming parents and didn't want being a parent to define our life or to take our identity away. And so like how we dealt with that is getting together and drinking with our kids there. This was yeah. a play date, but we would go and everyone would bring one or two bottles of wine. So we'd have all the wine lined up with our kids there. Luckily, weirdly, all of our husbands were shockingly responsible. Like all of our husbands would be the yeah. ones to like take mm-hmm. care of us, drive us home. <laughs> it was kind of crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. I know doing the exact same things too. I think we all do it, right? Doing that, like hanging out with friends with the kids and God. <sighs> You think the poor kids are all getting just absolutely shit-faced or going to a friend's and taking our van over there so we could sleep in the van just so we could get shit-faced and put the kids in the van and we could sleep there and get up in the morning. And I mean, that's just like, oh God. All that
1: stuff. And then in the morning, the kids want to play and you feel awful. You're physically ill and you're like, oh, mom doesn't feel that good. I mean, just the energy.
2: I know. Of it all. It's so sad. So tell me, you're aware, like I think most of us are, we kind of know deep down, like this is not good. How are you waking up? How was it for you when you're waking up? Oh my God. Mm. I used to wake up at three in the morning,
1: just coursing with anxiety and terrified of not going back to sleep, wondering how I would deal within the morning. And like, first thought in my mind was, I want to shoot myself. Like, this is awful. Mm. I can't deal. And for a while, I was sort of oblivious to the fact that those 3M wake ups were related to alcohol, which sounds mm. insane, but I was mm-hmm. totally oblivious. So I had a therapist and I went to my therapist and was like, I have crazy anxiety. I mean, a lot was going on. My dad died. My grandfather died in the same week. I was in a car accident. I had a huge job. Like there was a lot going on, mm. but went to my therapist and of course said, she's like, how much do you drink? And I gave the like standard, oh, a couple glasses, a couple times a week, AKA a bottle plus a night. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she gave me Ambien to help me sleep. So then, and I was on anti anxiety meds. So then I was drinking a bottle of wine a night on anti anxiety meds and taking Ambien. Plus, I had a four year old son and a huge job. And yet I was like, there's nothing to see here. Like the Ambien lets me drink, which lets me relax, which lets me be a cool mom. I mean, how exhausting. It is to live that way. When you look back, it's insane. You're like, how did I do that for so long?
2: What pisses me off too is a lot of these doctors that are prescribing these drugs aren't actually saying what's going on, what's your trauma history, what's happening in life, what other methods are you using to calm yourself. I know there's a lot of doctors now prescribing yoga nidra mm-hmm. for people rather than anti-anxiety and all those sort of drugs, which is incredible now. Like there's yeah. some amazing doctors doing amazing work now, in particular, especially through the trauma lens, like being more trauma informed. But then there's plenty that are not. Were you asked what was going on? on what you were doing. I mean, yes.
1: Um mm. but I think one of the things is that when at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, when I was drinking, I didn't want to tell my therapist that part of it. Partially because I wanted to look good to my therapist. You know how you're always posturing yeah. like, oh no, nothing. I'm I'm good. Which is also, so crazy, isn't it? So I know. That's the point. It's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. But also I didn't want her to tell me to stop drinking, right? Stopping drinking yeah. was my worst case scenario. I literally thought to myself, like, I need to get a handle on my drinking so that I never actually have to stop. I've talked to many doctors and therapists who also specialize in addiction on my show. And one of the things that blows my mind, like you were talking about, is we screen for diabetes. We now screen for anxiety. We screen for all these things. We don't screen for alcohol in primary care. Most doctors, at least in the United States, if they choose to do an addiction election, it's not part of the standard curriculum. It's six weeks. I've had clients tell me they've finally gone to their doctor so brave to say, I am worried about my drinking. And the doctor has been like, well, you're not an alcoholic. So just cut back. They're immersed in that idea as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Probably love them and drinking themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what happens next for you? Where did it go for you from here? What what got you to the point where you decided, I'm going to change? How did it get there? Like many people
1: who've gone through this, mine wasn't a straight line to, okay, I'm going to have my very first attempt at sobriety and it's a straight line from there. So when my son was born, I was 32, I was really hook, line, and sinker in the mom wine culture. I mean, all these books were out at the time, like nap time is the new happy hour and sippy cups are not for Chardonnay. Like all these funny books about moms drinking and how it was good. That's so
2: fucked up. It's it's so fucked
1: up. up. But I was like, no judgment. I would give them to my friends when they were pregnant. Mm
2: -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. so
1: deep in it. And here's what's funny. My son was maybe a year old. I was back at work and there was a particular woman, Stephanie Wilder Taylor, love her now, who had written these books. And I was drinking a ton and I'm down getting my cup of coffee in the cafe. And there is New York Times and on the front page said heroin, mommy wine culture gets sober. There was an entire story about how she had written all these books. And she went to her blog and said, I have a problem with alcohol. I can't drink anymore. While she still had another book coming out with the same theme.
2: Holy shit.
1: What was her name? That was a huge... Her name is Stephanie Wilder Taylor. Mm -hmm. She's actually writing a book right now about sobriety that I think is going to be amazing because she's a comedian, really funny out of LA. So seeing that, I like saved that. I copied it. I put it in a folder where no one could find it. I found her blog. She had a post called Don't Get Drunk Fridays. And so I wasn't ready to stop yet, but it was like, okay, all these jokes, the people pushing this, they're actually struggling with alcohol. I Now I see that all the time. So- I was worried about my drinking. I spent a couple more years trying really hard to hold on to some version of moderation until I was just really worried about my mental health. You know, I'd be driving home from work and debating if I had enough wine at home and trying to think if I could stop to pick up more wine before my son's daycare closed. I mean, you know, when you're just like, I need this and just those
2: calculations
1: in your own mind, you're like, dude, this is messed up that I am doing that.
2: Was your husband at this point worried? Like, was he seeing what was happening? You know, what's
1: crazy. My husband never said anything to me about it. And I talked to him. I mean, occasionally when I'd be opening bottle number two on a Tuesday, he'd be like, what are you doing, girl? Like, Mm -hmm. really? And I was super defensive about it. I was sort of like, we'd gotten together at 23. I was like, babe, you knew who you were marrying, right? And he was sort of like, kind of thought you'd grow out of it, you know? But he drank too. He's sort of what we call a normie. Sometimes he still drinks, but he didn't actually want me to stop drinking. He just wanted me to have an off switch. We had a lot of fun drinking, right? Like we went to Italy. We went on all these wine tasting trips. We sat at bars. We did pub crawls. He wanted me to keep drinking. He just didn't want me to pass out. He didn't want me to get drunk on a Wednesday night. What I would say is I kept a lot of my inner turmoil very, very quiet. He had no idea how much I struggled with it because I didn't want him in particular to know because I was like, I'm going to live with you for the rest of my life. If I ever tell you I'm worried about my drinking, you're going to be watching me for the rest of my life, judging me, right? I didn't Mm -hmm. want him to be my father. He was my husband. And so- I worked really hard to keep everything going, right? Like the kids were always picked up. The dentist was on time. I carried 80% of the the mental load of motherhood the kid work, despite the fact that I worked full-time. He did too. But that was sort of all on me. And I did it in that kind of martyrish way because I was like, so you can't say anything about my drinking right? Or see, there's nothing to see here because Mm -hmm. I do everything. So I deserve my bottle of wine, right? (laughs) You know, but I knew deep down that it was an issue. So I used to walk into work and before I stopped the first time when my son was five and literally be, I'd wake up in the morning, first thought, what the F is wrong with you, Casey, get your shit together. First thought, I hated putting on my eyeliner and seeing my bloodshot eyes, like the headaches, nightmare. I would walk into work literally debating in my head, am I a quote unquote alcoholic or do I just abuse alcohol? Because if I just abuse it, that means I don't have to stop. You have those thoughts enough that I finally got a therapist who specialized in both addiction and anxiety. I picked him because of that. I went in there and said, my boss, my husband, my kid, my life, and I drank a bottle of wine at night. And he immediately was like, let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, no, no. Let's talk about my boss. Like, (laughs) let's but he was sober. He was a member of AA 12 step program. You know, I think I chose him because he was sober, right? Like I needed that, even though I didn't want that. Mm. Working with him, finding an online group, someone in the online group actually took me to an AA meeting. I didn't want to go. I was like, well, this is a bucket list thing. I never thought I'd be doing this. I went to AA for four months. Wasn't my jam, but I met a lot of really amazing people. I was somewhat uncomfortable or I just didn't buy into a lot of the big book stuff. And it didn't resonate with me. And I didn't want to call myself an alcoholic, all that stuff. That said, I met some amazing people. I learned a lot that when I finally stopped drinking for good, it helped me a ton. They always say recovery ruins you for drinking. And I totally think it does. Like you can't unknow what you know. So I stopped drinking for four months and then I got pregnant. I sort of during my pregnancy, wasn't tricky, but I was very subtly itching away from like that persona of, I don't drink anymore. And once my daughter was born, I was like, you know what? Life is better now. I'm better. I have a different job. I'm less stressed. I'm happier. My marriage is better. In no way equating that with the fact that I don't drink, I'm happier, (sighs) my marriage is better, I have less anxiety because I don't drink. No, I thought it was situational and now I can introduce the alcohol,
2: right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That time I learned that it wasn't the situation, it was the alcohol. It took me 22 months to stop again.
2: This is really important. I want to stop here to really point this out that people have a break and they're like, I feel so good. Everything's falling into place. I'm sleeping better. So now I'm going to start drinking again. It happens so much where people go, Oh, I can moderate now. I think you're right. Like, are, are we actually equating it to the fact that it's because the fact that you're not drinking the alcohol that you're starting to feel better? It's so true. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so insane because, of course, I was like, now I'm going to moderate. I'm just going to have a couple glasses of wine on a date with my husband. I haven't had a glass of wine ever in my entire life, but somehow I thought this would work. And very, very quickly, I then the next Friday brought a bottle of wine home because Friday to split within months, I was back to a bottle of wine a night every night.
2: It just and, usually always goes back, like 95% oh of the time. Yeah. I mean, there are the, the few odd people out there that manage it, but like I say no. it so many times because I hear it so often where people are like, I thought I could, but then I just ended back where I was, if not worse. And it's
1: so hard
2: to pull yourself out of it.
1: I mean, during those basically two years when I was drinking, yes, some parts were fun. 90% of it was crap, right? 90% of it was me drinking on the couch, passing out. My husband couldn't wake me up. At 3 a.m. or before he went to bed, so I'd wake up alone on the couch in a dark house on a work night. Come upstairs in the morning, he'd give me the "How are you feeling?" and I would be like very closed off and like, "What? I'm fine. I'm totally fine."
2: Yeah. Um, God. I,
1: and at that point, like I did know too much. I knew every hangover. Every huge piece of anxiety, every time I was driving home and thinking about wine, every time I was opening the second bottle of wine, it was no longer fun. It was, I wanted it, but it was that like shame and guilt and worry and like, oh shit, this is bad. I'd take a break and then four days later drink.
2: And it's weighing it up too. Like, sure. There's some fun times in there. We're not going to deny that, but when you weigh it up, it's where I got to where it's just like uh, weighing this up. Is this actually worth it? And how much fun actually is it past that first couple of drinks, the shit show that comes the next day, the shit show of worrying about what it did after that point where I can't remember anymore. It just wasn't worth it. When you wake up and you feel how sick you feel and the anxiety, it's just like, this just, isn't worth it. Like there's yeah. got to be other ways of having yeah. fun. But... Well, you know, what's funny. I
1: mean, people say, Oh, well, I went on this trip and sobriety and it wasn't that fun or this part was hard and I felt left out. And anytime you do anything sober for the first time, it's going to be uncomfortable, right? You have to build that muscle. You have to work through it. But when I look back, I mean, we gave alcohol so many chances right? Like, okay, that was a brutal night that I don't remember that I'm embarrassed about that i Z. I'm throwing up in the toilet with my kids in the hotel room right next to me, trying to be quiet to not wake them up at the age of 38. Like that is not sophisticated or lovely or anything. We're like, well, maybe this time will be better. When I finally stopped drinking One, I did not know it was going to be my last day one. Nothing dramatic ever happened to me. Like my husband never said, you have to stop drinking. I never had any major consequences at work. I think I was very lucky. Like I said, I was married. My life was fairly boring. Most of my drinking was at home or on a date night with my husband where he drove some weekends away with girlfriends, but I was very lucky that I never got in any bad situations with anyone or my kids. And so I just honestly couldn't feel that way anymore. I was worried about my mental health. I was deeply unhappy despite having a really good life. And the second time I got to that breaking point, I knew it was the alcohol. I was no longer under any illusions that it was my boss or my job or my mother or whatever. I knew it was my drinking. And so I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was a member of a community of people who didn't drink. And someone recommended a sober coach that people had recommended 30 times before. And I went into work, emailed her, signed up for her 100-day challenge. And that was my last day one. Before I started, I couldn't get past day four on my own. And I just listened to sober podcast and immersed myself and emailed her every day and sort of did that block and tackling of my first dinner party and my first business trip and my first time telling my friends that I wasn't drinking. I mean, all those sort of smaller events that when you love to drink and when you stop, you feel it so deeply, they feel monumental to you. Mm, Absolutely.
2: Who was the coach?
1: It was Belle Robertson from Tired of Thinking About Drinking. Do you know her? No, no. She's out of Paris, which is crazy. She's Canadian and she's Mm. out of Paris. And I used to do my coaching calls with her. This was seven years ago in my car. I'd block off time in my calendar, go out to the parking lot, do my coaching calls. I mean, it's kind of amazing how you can fit support that resonates with you into your life. And get that kind of just encouragement and advice Mm. and tips and tricks to kind of navigate our booze
2: obsessed world. Absolutely. When you said that those first times, they are really monumental. They're so special. They still are. Like they still are monumental for me. We just did Blues Fest this weekend. Gone, even though this podcast will air probably well after this date. But just going to Blues Fest, being backstage there, I remember being there years ago, being shit-faced around all the other musicians, being shit-faced. Ash and I sort of saying that a lot of the musicians there, they're not. Well, no one in our sphere was, or none of our other muso friends that were playing, none of them were shit-faced, so it was probably just us. But to go up <laughs> and to turn up and to be there and be present, even though I've done many blues fests, sober, yeah. probably the last four that Ash has played, we've been sober, but it's still really precious to me. And it feels, I feel so proud of myself every time. And I get to be there and talking to people backstage and I feel present. I feel connected to myself. I woke up this morning and it was one of the first things I thought about, wow, I had this amazing time and I wasn't shit faced for any of it. I don't have to scramble through my memory bank. Yeah. Going, fuck, fuck, what did I say? And to me, it's just still monumental. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I love to travel too. And I
2: remember when I was four months
1: alcohol-free, I went to Venice and Croatia with my family and I was a red wine girl. So to go to Italy Mm -hmm. and not drink felt huge to me, but I knew that if I went there and drank, I would regret it forever. You know how you know, like in every photograph, whether you were drinking or not drinking in it, Mm -hmm. like you just somehow I know. And so I didn't want to look back on this trip with regret. I'd been to Italy drinking before. So I really worked with my coach and planned out getting excited for an alcohol-free trip to Italy. And what could I do and what could I enjoy and what did I need to change? And I just remember waking up early because I wasn't drunk the night before and walking the canals Before anyone was up, just with the local people doing the restaurants and taking all these incredible photographs. Mm -hmm. And that to me was just tingles. Like it was just amazing. And instead of going on a wine crawl or having my eight year old at the time sit bored at a bar while I drank a carafe of wine and my husband did he and I went on gelato crawls and he thought I was like the coolest mom ever. Cause of course, when I'm drinking, I'm like, so no, awesome. no ice cream for me. You know what I mean? Like I take my yeah. calories and wine, but it was just a really incredible trip. And once you stop drinking, it feels like everything's in technicolor. Yeah. You're just totally. like, Oh my God. God, the first time I was actually going to a 12-step meeting on my first one on a Saturday morning in Seattle, and it was at like 8 a.m., and I had to drive across the bridge. So I'm driving across the bridge at 7 in the morning on a Saturday in June, and there was this whole universe of people jogging and biking and so healthy and boating. I was like, do they do this every weekend? I felt like I was like observing aliens And I was like, this looks incredible, this world.
2: I could be doing this instead of hungover in my bed, feeling ill. You experience so much more. I mean, Ash and I and some of our friends, we've drunk the shit out of Europe. We've drunk the shit out of America. We've drunk the shit out of Canada. And the things we missed out on, I remember doing a Chianti tour with Ash before we had the kids in Tuscany. And we were annoyed because the people, they were only having little sips. So we actually left the tour so we could go buy a couple of bottles and sit there. And we got absolutely shit-faced. And I remember later that night just spewing all over this toilet in one of the squares there. And then the next day just being so, so hungover that I couldn't even get up, couldn't even eat anything. We spent yeah. all day in bed vomiting, both of us. And it's just no way of seeing the place. But now going and traveling and not drinking, that's something I never thought we could do. I, I, that yeah. was one of my concerns. How the hell are we going to tour in Europe or yeah. anywhere for that matter without having glasses of red wine? It's so much better it's such a different experience and you just have beautiful soda water and you get up in the morning, like you say, and there's, you join the rest of the world that yeah. are out there doing and enjoying actually themselves. And you like see things that other people don't see.
1: That's yeah. what blows my mind. I mean, I yeah. can't believe how much I missed out on yeah. when I was drinking. Yeah, I went to Amsterdam and Santorini a couple of years ago with my husband and it was incredible. I mean, the non-alcoholic beer in Amsterdam is so good. Oh wow, uh, awesome. You, oh yeah, they are amazing with the NA beer. And I even I have cousins in The Hague and I went to see them. They're my age. They had no idea I'd stop drinking. I was like, showed up and I was actually like, oh, actually I don't don't drink alcohol. And they were like, oh, do you want a non-alcoholic beer? They just had it in their fridge. They weren't sober. They were just like, yeah, sometimes we like to have it around when you want the taste, but not the buzz. I was like, this is uh-huh. awesome. And I've never, when I was drinking, wanted the taste, but not the buzz.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how though we can change, right? It's, yeah. it's incredible. Like you just don't know how much you're going to change. Sometimes when you're in it, you feel like these things are, are going to be impossible. It'll never feel good, but yeah. it does. You do get there once you kind of get through. You just have to get through these monumental times and they get easier, don't they?
1: Yeah, they get so much easier. You just need to plan for them and Branding. to set your boundaries and communicate your needs and set yourself up for success, whether that's a community to communicate with. I was posting in my community group every day I was in Italy, like sharing my wins, sharing what was hard, sharing what was great, but also telling my husband up front, like, I'm not going to drink on this trip and telling my family and not telling them all the stuff, just saying, Oh, I'm on health kick. I'm doing six months alcohol free. They all were like, You, you're doing <laughs> at the time. I was like, Yep, going to bed early, hanging out with the kids. My son loved me on that trip. And I look back and think of how many trips we took where I kind of just wasn't present with him, was kind of annoyed that he needed to go to bed early. You know, all the stuff that you're like
2: looking back hmm. and cringe. <laughs> Like you say, we think, oh, we're nailing it here, drinking this, but we're missing so much life. Like you miss so much. It's just beautiful to to be connected. And also that we're giving our kids that safety, that sense of mum's grounded yeah, with me mom's connecting to me. There's nothing more important than that for them to see that and to feel that in their cells.
1: Yeah. You know, what's funny. I just had recorded an episode for my show with an expert in early childhood positive discipline. And she said to me, which I just was like, wow, that's it. She said, children are excellent observers and terrible interpreters, right? So they see how it affects you. They see how it changes, but their interpretation about what's going on can be all over the place. And especially looking back, like mom's acting strange. Mom doesn't want to play with me in the morning. Mom's, and you get short with kids when you're hungover Mm -hmm. or when you don't want to go out with them. And the other thing I would say for life, alcohol-free life and sobriety is I'm much better at taking time for myself and not Mm -hmm. feeling guilty about it. Before I was the martyr who I do everything for everyone. And now I'm like, yeah, I need three hours this Saturday by myself. And I'm going to go to therapy once a week when I was first getting sober. And I'm going to do X, Y, Z and just much better with my husband about dividing work more evenly or bringing in a babysitter or whatever.
2: I think it's that voicing you needs, isn't it? Like you said earlier, it's so important to say, this is what I need. I've been doing this list. I got this from um, Cheryl Richardson's book, The Art of Extreme Mm Self-Care. I don't know if you've read that, but my book club read it recently. It's a great book. And she talks about one of the steps for self-care and extreme self-care is actually making, letting people know what you need, where you need help. So I've been doing those lately because I can tend to do that where I take on everything. I've got to do it all. I've got to do it all. And then I end up getting a bit stressed and cranky. So now I just say things that you can help me with for Ash to see and for the girls to see, this is what you can help mum with today. And it's not a huge, big, long list, but just little things that make it easier for me because otherwise they can't read our minds too. But as soon as we start to get stressed, that's when we disconnect, we become dysregulated as well. So it's really important to share the load and say what our needs are. It's so important. Setting yourself up for success is so important. Would yeah. you mind, from your coaching perspective, what are the three main tips that you would say for people to set themselves up for success?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I would say is to set a longer goal that isn't just, I'm only going to drink on Saturday or Sunday, or I'm only going to have two glasses of wine. If you do that, you never get out of the craving and withdrawal cycle, and you Mm -hmm. never get to experience, to get in the habit of living life without alcohol so that you're not constantly white-knuckling it or longing for it. Alcohol is like a magnet, and the closer you are to it, the stronger the pull it has on you. And so. My first advice, I always ask people to set a 100-day goal, alcohol-free. And when I was starting, I couldn't get past day four. So I know how daunting that is. And it's really easier once you get past the first two weeks to keep going than to try to keep it in your life. So my first tip is set a longer-term goal and approach it with curiosity and excitement. You know what your life looks like when you're drinking, the highs and the lows. You have no idea who you would be, what you might do, how you might feel, what hobbies you would take up, whether you would do things you always said you were going to do, if you gave yourself time without alcohol. So it's not a form of self-punishment. It is self-care and opportunity. So set a longer goal, approach it with curiosity and excitement, tell people you're not drinking, and if possible, get the alcohol out of your house or at least your beverage of choice. My husband drank beer. I never had him get rid of that. I think if I wasn't able to do it, I would have, but we have people bring wine and leave if they're drinkers, if it's a party, but I have never had wine in my house in seven years. It's not that I couldn't not drink, right? I'm very far along, but it's like, what's the point? of having it here. Yeah. Yeah. I have wine in my house,
2: but I have the non-alcoholic wine for
1: cooking. Oh yeah. I yeah. have non-alcoholic wine and I have non-alcoholic beer. I'm a big fan of that.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are your tips. So to set along a goal to make sure that your alcohol of choice is not in the house. I mean, fantastic. Do you have a third one? Well, I would just say, tell, I
1: told everybody mm-hmm. that I wasn't drinking, like nobody was going to not notice. That I wasn't drinking, like I was such a red wine girl. People knew me as that. So I told my husband, my workout group, my friends, my coworkers, I was like, I'm on a health kick. I'm doing a no alcohol challenge. And that accountability was so helpful because then I couldn't drink around them, right? And it just helped take away that whole like, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. You can have one. When I was like, I'm 25 days into a 100-day challenge. People don't argue with you as much. And if you say it's a health kick, a lot of people immediately turn the conversation to themselves and start talking about their Peloton or their triathlon or what they used to do or could do or should do
2: hundred days is really digestible for people as well. Like I think if you say I'm just doing a hundred days, your friends and your family go, okay, they can kind of handle that. How did you handle it at the end of the 100 days? And then going beyond that, what was the conversation you were having with people? and my
1: coworkers were like, what bar are we going to go to when you hit hundred days? As I was approaching it, I just very much was like, I feel so much better. I have more energy, less anxiety. I work out more consistently. I'm going to extend it to six months. I want to see how good I can feel with six months alcohol-free. I even told my husband that, and he was like, wow, you're not going to drink in Italy. You're not going to drink on your birthday. And I was like, nope, I feel great. And he was like, all right. I had eased him into the idea of we can still have fun. We still go on dates. Life is still good. I'm just a better version of myself. So it was less scary than saying to him, I have a serious problem with alcohol and I can never drink again.
2: Mm-hmm. And it made it more positive for me too. Yeah, How's it been for him losing his drinking buddy? Because obviously it affects our partners, especially yeah. we get together. We usually get together, we're drinking. Ash and I quit together. So that was, we're lucky yeah. like that. But I'm interested to hear how he's found it and how it has been for him losing his drinking yeah. partner.
1: Well, like I said, I think it actually really helped that I eased him into it. And honestly, I did it because I needed to ease myself into it too. So in the beginning, I was like, this is hard for me. He knew it was going to be hard for me. I tried to stop before and then been like, oh, it's been a hard day. Bring me a bottle of wine home from the grocery store. So I mean, the first six months, I wouldn't buy him beer just because I think I was pretty annoyed that he was drinking and jealous and was like, screw you, buy your own damn beer. But but I told him no wine in the house. I very much used my hundred day challenge. Like he'd be like, oh, let's go to this bar. And I'm like, oh, babe, I'm still doing my challenge. How about we go to this coffee shop with live music? And he was like, okay. But once we got to hundred days, I ran a 10 K I hadn't ran a 10 K in six years. I was in shape. I was happy. He even told me after 30 days, he was like, our house is just much more peaceful. He was like, you're less up and down. You're just more even, you're more calm. And I thought he'd think that was boring. But after I got more time and we looked back, he was like, no offense, babe, you weren't that exciting when you were passed out on the couch either. (laughs) I mean, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going up to bed with a book and a cup of tea. And he was like, at least you're less of a bitch in the morning, kind of. Thing, you <laughs>
2: know? So yeah, he's seeing the benefits though. So oh, he's yeah. able to see that. That's so fantastic. Because it's a big thing for people. Like, how am I going to connect with my partner if they're still drinking and I'm not? It's a big worry for people.
1: Yeah. And I always ask people to lower the stakes. Of how we interpret this. I think it's okay to think about quitting drinking sometimes, not always, but deciding to run a marathon or deciding to become a vegetarian. It is, yes, an addictive substance that's all around us. It's also a health and lifestyle choice. And so if you were to decide to run a marathon, you wouldn't need your husband to run it with you, right? you would be like, babe, I want to run a marathon. He's like, yikes. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of things you're changing, but I'm not going to be like, no, don't do it. You would probably find like a couch to 10 K group, like a sober group. You would probably read some books or some articles. You do some searching about how to train for it. Your spouse might take the kids on a Saturday morning when you're doing a 13 mile run and pick you up. Like, They have to make adjustments, but you're going to be fine. And if you become a vegetarian, that doesn't mean your spouse has to become a vegetarian too. You just cook different food for yourself or bring your own food to a barbecue. I feel that same way about he drinks beer, I drink non-alcoholic beer, or he has a cocktail and I have a non-alcoholic mojito. It doesn't have to define who we are.
2: Yeah, you can still do the things because this comes up so much. Oh, but how am I going to connect with my partner? That's what we do. But you can still do the things. You can still sit down and have a beautiful cheese platter. You can have a non-alcoholic wine and they can have their wine or you can sit by the fire and have a beer. You have a non elk beer or a cup of tea, and they have their beer, you can still listen to music and have a dance together. You can get there too. You can get to that place where you feel more confident to do things like that.
1: And Um, in the beginning, you just take care of yourself, right? You need to bubble up. You need to communicate what's hard. You need to ask mm. for their support. We ask for our spouses support all the time. It's just because drinking is such a huge deal for us. And we're so afraid of what people will Think it means about us that we feel like we have to do it alone. And if we tell anyone we're trying to stop drinking, they're going to have all these judgments around us. And I actually think that's changing, like with Mm. the whole sober, curious movement, with Mm. dry January, with dry July, with all these things, I think it's shifting where in the way it used to be with smoking, where you're like, actually, I quit smoking. And they're like, good for you. That shit's bad for you.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It is definitely changing. The whole culture is changing, which is amazing. That's fantastic. So thank you so much for those tips. Tell me what was one of your biggest obstacles? What was the hardest thing for you in early sobriety?
1: Well, I'm going to say this and people think it's funny, but it's what I see all the time. The hardest thing was that I actually really did not want to stop drinking. I wanted to feel better. I love drinking. It's like a toxic relationship, right? You ignore all the bad stuff and you hold on to this moment. I needed, with that idea of the magnet, I needed to get further away from it until I looked back at the way I was living and think, I can't believe I was settling for that existence. That is such the dregs of the coffee. But I needed to get away from it before I could look back and be like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that substance. I don't want that life. And so the hardest part was like my coach said to me when I started working with her, she said, nobody wants to stop drinking. You want to feel better. And you have to trust me that if you stop drinking, you will feel better. You're going to put down, she called it that backpack of rocks you've been carrying around every
2: day. Uh, Ash says that too. Yeah, yeah it's like taking it, rocks out of the backpack. Yeah. It is. And
1: so that that was the hardest part, not wanting to, and yet doing it anyway. Mm. Your, your desire for it gets less. People listening who are still drinking, like you may not be able to believe it, but it is true.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It really is true. It just is so much better. Look, there's obstacles. There's hard things that come up. There always is. And that's life. There's things that are going to be hard, but sometimes you just got to put your big girl pants on and tough it out.
1: Yeah, sometimes you do. And early sobriety is hard. There is no Mm -hmm. question, right? There are ups and downs. So give yourself the opportunity to sort of stabilize your body and your chemistry and your habits and take care of yourself and then see how you feel. I had not slept through the night in years. The first night I had a great sleep. I was like, oh my God, does everybody know about this? This shit's amazing, you know, like,
2: (laughs) oh my God. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's interesting how some people get the good sleep straight away and some people don't. And I think whatever you're getting, because some people might hear this go, Oh, hang on, I'm not getting the good sleep. It does come. It just like you say, it takes a while. It's everyone's different. It takes a while for your body to adjust and it's all the good stuff is there. It's just some people, it takes longer. Some people get it straight away and there's ebbs and flows. But I think even the times where it is hard or there is maybe you don't get such a good sleep or you wake up and you feel a bit crappy still, it still outweighs that feeling of complete dread and what the fuck and those terrible feelings that we have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Life's so much better. So you're running your own programs. You've got your own online course. You do one-on-one coaching with people, which is so awesome. If someone wanted to reach out to you. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, my website is Hello Someday, S O M E. DAY coaching.com. And that is the best place to find all my stuff. I've got a free 30 tips for your first 30 day guides. That's the best place to find me. And then the Hello Someday podcast is wherever you listen. And Danny is going to be on it. We're going to be talking about her story and also a lot about yoga nidra and healthy habits and navigating this period of quitting alcohol.
2: So take a listen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'll put in the show notes as well for for if people want to contact you directly, I'll have it all there. So if anyone wants to reach out, how long, I didn't ask you how long you've been so before. Seven years. Amazing. Yeah. That's great. That's so fantastic. And this is why it's great to work with someone who's been there. (laughs) You can't really work with someone who hasn't actually been through the trenches as well. So it's
1: really great. I really needed, i had gone to therapists. I needed a coach who had been through it, who got it. Both for that lack of judgment, I felt like I could be honest because they were like, yeah, me too. I get it you're not a horrible person. Of course you feel that way. But also just the block and tackling of like, I was terrified the first time I went out to dinner with another couple. I felt like I was deer in the headlights when the woman came and asked for my drink order. You don't know how scary that is until you're in it. And then once you overcome it, you're just like, oh my God, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you just like, wow. And then you get one notch in your belt, and then you do the next one, and it just gets easier. And and you'll get these
1: weird responses where people are like, oh, good for you. I've been thinking about doing that too. I mean, some people who are huge drinkers, when I told them, were like, gosh, I've been thinking about that. How does it feel? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Most people are feeling the same way, particularly around this age group. Anything from 40 and beyond, usually most people are questioning their own relationship with alcohol and probably want the same too for themselves. Well, Casey Davidson, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your little gems of wisdom as well. Before you go, can I just ask if you could go back in time, especially to that time when you found out about your dad's cancer and work and all the things that were piling up on top of you, if you could give that version of you some advice, what would you say to her? I would say you are making it so much harder on
1: yourself than it needs to be. I thought that wine was helping me and it was making everything harder in my life. I think had I known that there was support out there, it would have
2: helped me so much. Yeah. Gosh, you gave me goosebumps and you're making it so much harder on yourself than it needs to be. And often we think that the alcohol is helping us, but it's making it so much fucking harder.
1: It's that backpack of rocks. You're just carrying around this huge weight, whether it's thinking about it, being non-functional in the evenings, being hungover all day, sleeping terribly, spiking your anxiety. I mean, it's, everything's harder
2: yeah and if we've already got stress and we're piling all that on top of it if people could just step back and see okay this wine might give me a temporary out for how long but everything it's going to put on top of this stress that i've already got if they could just see that there might be that moment of pause to go okay can i just feel my way through this sometimes we just have to go inward and do the work we have to go through the emotional discomfort and just just work through it without the alcohol it's so much better off on the other side there's a lady in one of my groups at the moment she's just lost her grandfather and they were really close. She was worried about her sobriety. She reached out to me, thank goodness, and just said, Hey, this is what's happened. And I'm feeling really wobbly. And what she did, she loaded up a whole lot of mantras Mm -hmm. and laid there and she did yoga nidra and she did some chanting and mantras and journaled. And she ended up just sitting at his property and having a non-alcoholic beer and just worked her way through it. She reached out It was actually really beautiful to watch her work through the process and come through it on the other side. And she's not through it by any means. There's still everything that comes along with it, but just being able to see someone go make the decision for themselves. And it didn't make it any easier to drink or not drink, but what you have to experience like those feelings there and grief in particular is such a big one that has to be felt. It just has to be felt. Otherwise that stuff gets stored in the body. So working through it without the alcohol is, it's wholesome. And it's an honoring of those feelings that are there.
1: I mean you're so right I have to say that my dad had pancreatic cancer for 6 years passed away when I was 29 I drank through all the fear all the anxiety all the it's not fair all the sadness once I stopped drinking I was 2 years sober and my very best friend godmother to my son died of brain cancer she was only 40 years old she had a 5 year old son Oh I'm so sorry so Anyway, she found out she had brain cancer when she was pregnant, went through three brain surgeries by the time he was five. And it was really painful end for her. It was not pretty. It was not kind. And I didn't drink through it. And what I was able to do was one, not make it all about me not make it all about how this is happening to me. I have to say with my dad, I was so involved in what was going on with me that one, I wasn't able to process it, but I also wasn't able to take care of my mother or my sister or be kind to anyone else, but also like hold her hand and be present and take care of her son and feel the pain. You can do it not drinking and it's actually
2: more beautiful even when it's hard. Yeah, I agree. I'm look going through the same thing with my dad and that's something I never, ever thought I could do or face. I was petrified my whole life of losing my dad. But to be able to be present and be there for him and every yeah. second, you know, holding his hand and playing the music and rubbing his feet and even being there when he took his last breath to lay with his body for the whole day that day afterwards and to be with my siblings and just feel it and feeling it afterwards. Oh gosh, I'd never change that. And I would never want to disconnect from any of that by drinking. I'm just so grateful that I got to feel it all. And I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of that little me. I'm proud of big me. I'm proud of it all. And you should be. Uh, yeah. Should. And I would never change it. I would absolutely never yeah. change. It It was actually a very hard, but a very beautiful experience as well. Yeah. yeah. One I look back on with just so much. I'm Oof. sorry though that you had to go through that. I know how hard that is. Yeah. It's hard, but jeez, we can do it. You just, yeah. you won't believe what you are capable of when mm-hmm. you're not drinking too. Yeah. And you're better able to take
1: care of yourself and regroup oh, and know. just hold space for yourself when you need it. When you're drinking, you're just, at The end of your rope all the time, barely able to
2: cope. Oh my god, yeah. If I had been drinking through that, the moments I would have missed mm-hmm. the little moments where if he'd open his eyes and say, I love you, or you know, just to miss that. Oh my gosh, geez, yeah. so grateful. Okay, all right, well, thank you, Casey. You're just so beautiful, and I, I can't wait to meet you in person one day and give you a big I squeeze. Know. I'd, I'd love just, that. I'm just, dying to come back to Australia someday. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to catch up. So reach out, reach out to Casey, check her out. She's amazing, amazing human. And I just love your work. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. See ya.